2: Dave Hooker show a presentation of off the hook sports objective insight expertise top guest available on YouTube Apple Spotify and the off the hook sports app download now for free also available on off the hook sports.com I compute and obey now to
4: Dave Hooker ready we are off and rolling with caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker welcome to the program glad that you're on board at our usual start time of 10 a.m eastern time and a lot going on on the program today including a wide receiver breakdown a linebacker breakdown we've got a lot josh ward joins us each and every thursday also why there's a little fly in the ointment nil wise that's already affecting a major school that's tried to be aggressive in it and why I think this will lead to sweeping NIL changes that will be market-driven, not driven by Congress, which is what Greg Sankey has been looking for. And also, Some love for Jabari Small and Jalen Wright. We'll discuss them there on the Dope Walker list. Why I think that as good as they are, they could be a little bit overrated and Tennessee could be better at running back this particular season than many people think. And then Joe Milton gets some ultimate praise that when we were going over to our 3.45 a.m. production meeting, I was a little bit stunned. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you and yours. Caleb, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, Dave? Never better. Uh, never better. Let's go ahead and get it started off uh, right in the beginning because this is one of those headlines that uh, jumps off the page, no question about it. It is from ESPN. It's brought to you by our friends at Zen Sports. You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you about Joe Milton the third, second junior, senior, Esquire. Here we go.
2: What the What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep, keep, keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com.
4: Well, let me tell you, college football fans, and this is Bill Connolly, who we like a lot, because he's able to do some things that, with statistics and numbers that aren't too analytical to me, Uh, But they they have reason within them where they make some sense. Sometimes he gets a little off-base me. But uh, Caleb and I both like uh, Bill Connolly a lot with ESPN. So here's how he rated Joe Milton as the most important player in college football. It's a top 25 list. Not top 25, not top 20, not 15, not top 10, not top 5. Number 1. Caleb Calhoun, your thoughts on Joe Milton being uh, the most significant, most important player in the 2023 football season? How does that strike you? Surprising
0: until I think about it, and it makes sense with Connolly's standards. What Bill Connolly is saying in this article is that who is going, which players are most likely to dictate, have the largest impact on the outcome of their teams and are those teams potential playoff contenders i don't think anybody would say i mean tennessee's number 10 in the coaches poll. everybody agrees that they tennessee could at least be a playoff contender this year doesn't mean they will be but they could be well if they're going to be it's going no team is going to be more dependent or no team success is going to be more dictated by their quarterback than tennessee with joe milton given josh Heupel's offense and therefore milton because of the question surrounding him really does all of a sudden become the most important player. And just for context, Drew Aller at Penn State is number two. That's another quarterback who there are a lot of questions about, but there's a lot of hype behind. And people don't know where he's going to, how that's going to end up with Penn State because they're loaded on the offensive line. Tennessee loaded at the skill positions. And the question does come down to Joe Milton.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, and I know that's the argument you're going to make, and I can't argue with any of it. But let me play devil's advocate. So, for instance, uh, let me throw a couple of names at you that were on his list a little bit further down. So, Joe Milton, number one of the uh, most important players in college football. And so strong that Bill Connolly of ESPN, his lead line is it couldn't be anyone else. But let me play devil's advocate a little bit. If Carson Beck is better than Stetson Bennett, or at least as good, or halfway as clutch, then Georgia's winning a national title based off their roster, in my opinion. So, he, to me, would be more important than a guy who hopes to get in the college football playoff. Again, I understand the argument, and I'm not necessarily against it, but let me throw that out there and see how that strikes you.
0: You know... I think the bigger problem for Georgia is that it's not Carson Beck. It's can Georgia, and we saw this last year, can the rest of their team, no matter how loaded they are, maintain the same edge mentally week in and week out. That gets harder and harder to do the more and more you win. And So even if Carson Beck is playing well, Dave, I think Georgia's success will come down to will their players maintain their mental edge enough to make sure they don't have a slip-up anywhere.
4: And you're telling me that if Georgia is a clone of senior year, final year, last year, Stetson Bennett, that they could still fall short of the college football playoff.
0: Yes, easily. They could still fall short and they could fall short. It reminds me of, look, I'll go back to it. 2013 Alabama, Auburn, that lucky kick six game that I think is the greatest regular season game in history. What really stood out to me about that was Alabama was two time national champs. They were undefeated. They were number one. There was an incredible level of complacency. I mean, Dave, how hard is it to keep maintaining the motivation and edge when you keep winning? Eventually, to quote a previous president, you do get sick of winning (laughs) sometimes.
4: That's true. Let me throw another name at you out of Alabama before I remind you that uh, what the H today is brought to you by Zen Sports. Zen Sports. Yeah, man. They're your new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get with their cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited five percent cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the code hooked. That's right, hooked H O O K E D. Unlimited 5% cash back. Do not forget the promo code support our advertisers. We appreciate that. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. Refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards, too. Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee, so if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. Zen Sports, download the app today. All right, he's at number five. Is Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow, or Ty Simpson. In other words, whoever wins the quarterback competition in Alabama. That could turn Alabama if they get strong quarterback play, because they had to have it last year to be a college football playoff contender, right? You would agree with that.
0: Yes, yes. Anybody who watched that Tennessee-Alabama game knows that without Bryce Young, Tennessee's winning that game by 30.
4: Yeah. So if one of those guys step up anywhere close to a Bryce Young level, then Alabama is a college football playoff knock-at-the-door top of team. Why wouldn't you go with them over Joe Milton I guess the overall point that I'm making is that Joe Milton doesn't have as much room to make mistakes Caleb as some of these other quarterbacks and some of these other players on the list because one to 85 their rosters are still better for the most part on this list than Tennessee especially on the top end
0: well that would put more that would mean it's even more important. Joe Milton's even more important. Now I would actually agree with you that Alabama is probably closer than Georgia. With their, So I would actually have Alabama situation at number two, right behind Joe Milton, because I'm with you. I think if they could get good quarterback play, I think they're pretty set in a lot of other places and they should be elite. And here's the other point I think that's going to happen with Alabama this year. Tennessee fans know this firsthand and you know this firsthand covering Tennessee. Sometimes when you have a superstar quarterback in college, the rest of the team, unfortunately, takes plays off or doesn't feel the same intensity or urgency. Yeah. I think Tennessee was doing that with Peyton Manning a lot in 97. And I think without Peyton Manning, I think one of the reasons they wanted in 98 was because a lot of players said, oh, we need to step up. Peyton Manning's gone. We can't just fall back on him. And I think you're going to see that a lot of that with Alabama this year. At which point, it will all come down to whether or not the quarterback is competent. (laughs)
4: No, I okay, I, I, I do get your point. But if, if, if we're talking about them being a factor in the college football playoff, which I guess I kind of twisted the question, then if Carson backs as good or better than advertised, if uh, an Alabama quarterback emerges, for that matter, for an Ohio State quarterback, I'm not sure who they have tapped as a starter at this very moment, but they are – not only knocking at the door, but they're probably in it if they get that kind of quarterback play. Tennessee could get that kind of quarterback play; could get very good quarterback play. They could get the same play they got last year, and you know, slip. They, they could lose to Georgia as they did last year. They could lose to Alabama as uh, they didn't last year, but it, it took some pretty strong late game heroics, and it's on the road. Um, I just think that when we write the book of the 2023 season, there will be other guys that demand more coverage than Joe Milton. Unless, unless Joe Milton is absolutely astonishingly good. And Tennessee makes the college football playoff. Then all of what I just said is moot. Tennessee makes the first college football playoff, potentially plays for a national championship for the first time since 98. Before that was 47 years. Yes. Then, by golly, Bill Conley nailed nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. But to me, it has to be that for Joe Milton to be the most important player. I'm not trying to nitpick his column. I hope that makes sense, Gail.
0: Well, okay, so but think about this for a minute. If Joe Milton is as good as if Joe Milton is as good as the as he possibly could be, as like the 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 most optimistic person predicting for Joe Milton this year is predicting. If he's that good, if he's as good as Travis Case thinks he's gonna be, okay. <laughs> um we're well, talking. I,
4: to, he's Hinden Hooker all over again.
0: Yes, exactly. It, yes, if he's Hinden Hooker all over again. Well, last year Tennessee was a weird suspension away from playing in the college football playoff. That's sure. how close they were. So that we're talking difference of right there or not there at all with Alabama or Georgia. If the quarterback plays not where it needs to be, they could still make the playoff. And if it is where it needs to be, they're probably in. But they're not fully out of it if the quarterback plays not where it needs to be. If Tennessee's quarterback play is not where it needs to be, they have no shot at the playoff. They have no shot at finishing in the top 10, honestly, at that point.
4: Pretty good point. Uh, Billy Bob Cooter giving me a hard time. I agree with Dave. Bench Joe, start Nico. I never – well, I said that like in January. But can you back me on that, please, Caleb, that I have not said that in like since February?
0: He hasn't said it since spring ball. That's what we'll see. He even, hasn't said even, it since even spring. Even before ball. that,
4: actually, if you remember in January, I was told he showed up, uh, that Nico showed up with a, a lot of maturity, and that Joe Milton's like, uh oh, I'm not going to be able to coast through this offseason. That's what I was told. So that even goes back earlier than spring ball. But I did say it, and I'm of the opinion that I would like to see that guy, Nico.
2: Yeah, male. Ago
4: play a little bit which I'm going to get into is in, in a column a two quarterback system you rolling that out automatically just because of tradition I don't know about all that all right I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to NIL here in a little bit and it's because Texas A&M uh, seemingly is in trouble with not the NCAA it's the IRS but first Jabari Small Jalen Wright on the Doak Walker preseason watch list Here is why they could be the third and fourth best running option on the team, which I know sounds crazy. And Travis, I know that you posted earlier on the message board and that was I watched the Orange Bowl last night. Right and small are underrated, if anything. Here's why I don't think they're either underrated or overrated. I think they're rated about what they should be. But I know Dylan Sampson had the best spring of any ball on the roster. So Dylan Sampson's going to be a factor out of the backfield in some shape, form, or fashion. I know that I know that Jalen Wright has a special wiggle, in my opinion. But is he a special back? Not quite. Same thing for, for Jabari Small without the wiggle. Cam Selden... Uh, is a guy who had a fantastic spring and brings a lot more size and power to the position. So there's going to be an option there. I don't believe in freshmen at all, but if I believe in any freshman, it's a freshman running back. So please hit the like and subscribe button as we get into that. uh, And turn your notifications on, we'll have a Celebrate 98 uh, edition coming up today. But Caleb, as far as Jabari Small and Jalen Wright, I think they're very good as a package. I think most of the teams, probably all but one or two, would take them as their top two tailbacks. But I don't know that they're elite, and I don't know that they're dope walker status. And I do believe that Dylan Sampson's going to get a fair amount of touches and Cam Seldon's going to get a fair amount of touches where there's not going to be any tailback on Tennessee's roster that stands out significantly more than others. Would you agree or disagree with that?
0: I agree with Jalen Wright, not with Jabari Small. And now I'm gonna start off disagreeing with you from the bat. I don't think Cam getting a lot of touches this year. That was your spring back that got a lot of touches because they don't like to give their starting running backs a lot of reps in spring ball. Because the fact of the matter is you don't really have to give your running back reps in practice that much. It, it ain't there's not much learning in yeah. that position.
4: And I'm like 80% agreeing with you. I just keep hearing his name in the offseason, but I I tend to agree with you on that point as well.
0: Yeah, so I think Jalen Wright might become a little bit of the odd man out because of Dylan Sampson, but I'm not ruling out Javari small because Jamari small is still the only player on this roster that I think can withstand 25 carries a game if needed the 20 to 25 carry range. And so he's going to get a lot more chances at yards, scores, things like that. And he's a very effective running back in the passing game where I think the biggest drawback is going to be is the interior blocking Cooper Mays and Javante Spraguez are fine. We got no issues with them. Dave left guard is still a big question right now. And it's not, I don't think you just replaced Jerome Carvin. And I think it will be the interior blocking that determines if there's a Doke Walker on this roster. I mean, let's go back to Travis Stevens, the runner up for the 2001 Doke Walker, the best running back season in Tennessee history. Travis Stevens was, a, had great vision, fast, great, you know, was, was had amazing agility. and was great at cutting. It was the interior blocking that got him to 1360 that year in rushing more than anything else. I think, I mean, with that was Fred Weary paving the way for him. Fred Weary and I think Reggie Coleman were the two guys, were the two guards paving the way for him consistently. I don't know if Tennessee has that second guard yet opposite Spragans.
4: Um, I don't either. And I think they want it to be Addison Nichols in a way. And I think they want it to be Ollie Lane and, and way for Two different reasons. I think Nichols is more talented, Caleb, and, and you're kind of wondering why the switch hasn't been flipped yet. And then I think with Ollie Lane, it's a guy that's just worked it and worked it and worked it. And it's hard as a coach not to appreciate a guy like that, but as he is he as talented as the other uh, interior offensive lineman on Tennessee's roster, I don't think so. And you're absolutely right. This offensive line, I still am amazed by the number of people who think that they're just going to be just fine without Darnell Wright who negated basically one of your best pass rushers on your team. In Alabama's case, it was their best pass rusher. And the, the thing that was so incredible, right, is he was so good at uh, both aspects of both run blocking and pass blocking. So that continues to surprise me how people think that's just fine. They're, they're going to be fine, which then would open up the scenario that maybe Dylan Sampson is a better fit. Cause I think you would agree with me, Caleb, that if a guy's in space and has to make a play or has to speed away from somebody, then Sampson's going to be better than Jabari small, than Jalen Wright, or even Cam Selton. Right.
0: Yes, I, I I agree. I think that there's nobody you would trust more in open space than Dylan Sampson. And so they're going to try to get him the ball a lot more he is, dare we say, this year's Alvin Kamara. I mean, I don't want to go that high, but I think you could see something like that with him. And you're right, you're going to have to find ways to get him the ball in space. Also, the where the run game could be most effective, the vertical run game, which Hypo cares about, I think you're going to see a lot more use of Milton this year than you saw with Hinton Hooker in the run game, which is going to be a lot more effective. You don't know if Milton's going to run it. You don't know if the running back's going to take the carry. And the reason I think that's a big deal is that one, Milton's bigger than Hooker, So I think he can withstand a more vertical rushing attack as it is. But also, I'm ready for the message boards on this. I think Heupel is not as concerned about losing Milton and going to Nico as he was about losing Hooker last year and going to Milton.
4: Oh, okay. Now that's an interesting... Say that again.
0: Heupel will use Milton more in the run game than he used Hooker. One, because Milton's more, more durable because of his size. But two he's less concerned about losing Milton and going to Nico than he was last year about losing hooker and going to Milton.
4: That's interesting. And they're both his guys. Can I support your point for a second? They're both his guys. So like last year, you know, last year, do you, well, year, year one, 2021. I had somebody within the program said the, the bottom line is Milton was their guy. And that was the bottom line, and uh, and they and it was close in practice, but they wanted to play their guy. So that last year, it's it's almost like you would be reverting, and that may be a psychological reason not to do it. This year, there is there should be no psychological reason, right?
0: Right. Both are his guys. You're being so, called
4: wild on the message board. What's going on with that? Yeah, I didn't because- think you – you haven't thrown any high hot. You ought to hear some of the things that Caleb and I say. That's nowhere close to high hot heat. Joe Milton is
0: Josh Heupel is Voldemort with six Horcruxes right now. Voldemort doesn't care if he uses one as a weapon and loses it. So I'm just saying for all the Harry Potter heads listening on this. Um
4: I got totally lost. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, um, um, <laughs> but uh, running backs at the end of the day, let me ask you this question. Who has the most yards? Who has the most yards per carry? I think Jalen has the most yards per carry. He was about a yard per carry over everybody else.
0: He was, but I, I think I think Samson has the most yards per carry and yards this year because I think even though Jabari Ooh. Small is gonna, Jabari Small is going to get more carries, but I think Samson is going to have more explosive big plays. Jabari Small is going to be the guy that you use on the thing that people forget what hurts small a lot to be fair to him. He's always brought in on third and one second and two plays, And it's a get the first down run as opposed to get a lot of yards, run. You know what I'm talking about? So yeah, going to have I'm, a lot
4: more of those. I'm interested. I think Samson is about probably s- seven yards of carry because he does interesting things. And then he, he gets about 500 or so yards where I think the leading rusher will probably have around about, eight or 900, and then whoever it is, Jalen Ryder, Jabari Small falls in after that. But I like that thought process. I do. Josh Ward coming up next. He joins us each and every Friday. We'll have a complete breakdown of Tennessee's linebackers as they're finishing up their first actual scrimmage today and also a wide receiver outlook because we kind of have a feel for these guys now that they've been in practice for a week. So stay tuned. We'll give you the insight that you want that you need that you crave with josh ward up next he's caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker off the hook Sports.
2: for Cadis, i was i was really heavy into the drug culture um i was selling drugs i was just constantly in pain i was missing like a good support system in my life katis has given me everything that i need successfully have a wonderful recovery in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible and it's not just about me anymore and I love that. I absolutely love it.
3: You can take your life back. Call Cadus today. With all that sun,
2: sand and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah! (music) Thank <music> you.
4: up everybody this is jacob warren asking you to like subscribe and share dave needs this
2: you're listening to the dave hooker show a presentation of off the Hooksports.com. internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you available on youtube apple spotify and the off the hook sports app download now for free is there nothing you people can't do also available on off the Hooksports.com
4: here we go love this portion of the program each and every week it's josh ward of the sports animal josh is fantastic we love visiting with him and i remind you you can go to tncidercompany.com, tnsidercompany.com use the promo code hat promo code hat and with any purchase you can get some free swag with the best cider in the business right there based out of East Tennessee, com. Let's bring Josh Ward in here of The Sports Animal. You can listen to him from noon to three. Josh, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm great. Good morning. We're having a discussion. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but might be a good show prep if you want to dig into it. And That is Joe Milton, the most important player in the upcoming college football season. Not for Tennessee, not for the SEC, but the country. And that's by Bill Connolly of
3: ESPN. I'm not, I'm not overselling it. He is number one, most important player. Yeah, we had Bill on the show, uh, on the radio oh. on Wednesday. And he is very high on Joe. He's very high on Josh Heupel's offense. SP+, which Bill puts together, has been very high on Tennessee over the last couple of years. A year ago, Bill's numbers said Tennessee's a preseason top 10 team, while everybody else was like, eh, I don't know about that yet. And then they went 11-2 and finished in the top 10. Uh, Bill put out a... Uh, part of their conference previews, and he was asked, okay, if you could choose a future bet in the SEC, what would it be? And he said, Milton to win the Heisman. That doesn't mean that that's his number one pick, but he's like, that the value is there because of this offense and what Milton's arm is and what his talent is. Can he put it together? That's the question. But uh, it makes sense to me. You could choose a number of players because of the different opportunities teams have, but with Tennessee, if Milton is as good as he can be, In the offense, which we already know what it's capable of, well, then Tennessee becomes a national title contender. So SP Plus from Bill Conley has been high on Tennessee for multiple years now. That has remained the case this offseason. SP Plus has had Tennessee number six in the country heading into 2023. And if Milton lives up to the hype or gets close to it, then Tennessee will at least be in a position to contend for titles in the SEC and nationally. Okay, before we get to the linebackers, and Josh did a great write-up on
4: those guys and why Tennessee is in such better shape, even though maybe if you looked at the X's and O's, you would say, nah, Jeremy Banks was pretty good headed into last year. Now we know what we know. But let me start with Caleb. You have to bet a mortgage payment that Joe Milton, Esquire the Third, the second junior, will be a, a top-five Heisman vote getter not go to New York because sometimes it's three, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's four, but and then I'll get to you, Josh. So think it out. And your kids love a place to live. So think about that too. I mean, you're, you're, you've are you're you got to take care of those three. Caleb, you have to bet the, a mortgage that Joe Milton will be top five boat getters in the Heisman, yay or nay?
0: Nay, because I, this isn't about payout. That You're going 50-50. I get to keep my mortgage or not. And in, the, in that in that scenario, I'm going. I'm going nay, largely because again, we don't know if Joe Milton's going to stay healthy. He's been hurt twice already at Tennessee. There's questions about his accuracy still, and there's questions about Tennessee's pass protection because the offensive line's been shaky in spring in fall camp. So nay.
3: Josh,
4: what say you? Mortgage time.
3: Well, I'm probably nay as well because part of it is still a team vote. Where is your team in the ranking? And I don't know that Tennessee will be in the position at the end of the season to get Joe into that top five vote. So he's absolutely a candidate. And if he is a top five guy, then I'm also probably talking about the record being as good or better than it was a year ago. But right now I would project nay on a top five Heisman finish for Joe. But he is uh, he is a popular sleeper pick for a reason because of the value and the opportunity that comes with the position he's in.
4: I would have said nay based off just preseason hype or lack thereof being a air quote first year starter, which he kind of sort of is taking over the team, even though it's he started the season in 2021. I, I would, I would say nay based off lack of preseason hype, but he's getting an absolute ton of it. So um, if I had a, Bet my mortgage, I will say nay, but it wouldn't stun me if he's in the top five. All right.
3: Now, if c- I were Phil Mickelson, maybe uh, I'd be a little more interested, but I'm I'm not. I'm just trying to uh, keep up with the headlines of the day.
4: Yeah, but if you're Phil, you'll you'll take a bet on when the post uh, the postman <laughs> arrives. Yeah, allegedly, and then you. And then you can also
0: cover your losses by selling out to the people who attacked us. I'm sorry, sorry to take a shot at Phil. That's right.
4: I got the over/under that the postman gets here at 7:20. Feels like I'll take the over. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a way I can double down? (laughs) Yes, you can. He's got a problem. All right, Tennessee's linebackers. Josh wrote a great column about that. Listen, if I told you right now they got some dude from BYU. And they've got the Beasley guy back again, and that's how you're entering the 2024 season. And Arian Carter may be their third best linebacker, and he's a freshman. You would have said a year from a year ago eh, that doesn't sound great, but now we think a lot of Peely, we think a lot of Beasley as his star continues to ascend, and it did last year. And we have hindsight to know that you're not going to have a Jeremy Banks off-field issue, so. I thought of this yesterday and I texted you that. How about this for a column? Tennessee's linebacker core for a number of reasons is in a far better place than it was this time last year.
3: Yeah, uh, it it is for several reasons. That's why we tried to lay them out. So we can we can begin with the starters. Aaron Beasley was one of the bright spots on last year's team in terms of how he was talked about in August and then how he was viewed After the Orange Bowl, he was a really important contributor for the team as the season went along. He had an MVP-worthy performance. The award went to Joe Milton, and that's perfectly fine. But if it didn't go to Milton, I think it had to go to Aaron Beasley with how he played against Clemson. He was terrific. So now with that experience, and he played at Mike, he played at Will last year. He has experience in multiple spots and another offseason to prepare for this year. Aaron Beasley is one of Tennessee's best players now at linebacker when a year ago we were talking about him as a guy that, oh, they're going to have Beasley out there. So he's made a big step in where he is as a player. And then Peely is a guy that comes in with a lot of experience. He's a two-time captain at BYU. So when you look at the the room of linebackers, one, they didn't have a lot of guys last year or, or two years ago, they were for a lot of the time at three players on scholarship that they trusted to put out on the field. And the trust was Not really strong with one or two of those guys. Jeremy Banks was a good player on the field for them, but there were questions whether he would be on the field. Juwan Mitchell is a guy that could produce at times, but dealt with the suspension. He has uh, already been dismissed by Arizona State. That report came out earlier this week when he left Texas to come to Tennessee. The word out of Austin was, yeah, led the team in tackles, but they're okay with him moving on. Why was that? So uh, Banks and Mitchell were two players that were important, but they didn't, have as much accountability as was needed. Peely is the opposite of that. 25-year-old married college football player who has as much experience as anybody in the nation. And then the talent to go behind those guys, Arian Carter is a guy that was coveted by Alabama. And it looked in the spring to be for good reason, because he has a ton of ability. They like T Lander a lot. Jalen Smith, well, he's probably more of a long-term guy because he's needed to add more weight, but has really impressive speed at the position and then Elijah Herring the way that he played last year I think he was one of the surprises from the 2022 class in terms of he was shot out of a cannon when he stepped out on the field at linebacker they all have a lot to learn talking about the second year guys and the freshmen but they have more ability than the reserves that Tennessee played the last couple of years and the starters I think are as good or better than we've seen and far more accountable they went from Banks, again, being an important player, and I mentioned the column, he deserves credit for the steps that he had taken from 2019 being dismissed from the team to being back on. But he still had work to do, and that's not a question at all with Tennessee starters right now.
0: Josh, speaking of that, because you're right, they kind of ran three linebackers last year, even though it was mostly two starters at one time, because it was Banks, Juwan Mitchell, and Aaron Beasley. Okay, so just from an ability standpoint, Banks, Juwan Mitchell, Aaron Beasley – and then this year, Keenan Peeley, Aaron Beasley, and I'm going to say Arian Carter. Which three would you take, just, just from on-the-field ability?
3: Uh, on-the-field ability, I would take this group. Uh, Carter probably has the most upside in terms of talent. He's also a freshman, so the least experienced. Uh, Beasley, compared to Beasley a year ago, is better. So I know that he uh, – I just trust that he's a better player than he was 12 months ago, so there's an upgrade Peely, I think, is as good. You know, let let's see in space, but you know, in coverage, those kinds of questions that can be a question for any linebacker at that position. Banks was aggressive the way that he was able to make plays in the backfield. I think Peely will be able to do that as well. He's still learning the defense, but from the leadership that you get at that position, I consider that to be a bit of a skill. So uh, that's an improvement for Tennessee's defense. It's maybe close in terms of the top three, but Beasley's better than he was a year ago. Uh, Communication on the field should be better at that position. And the upside I get with Carter, I'll take all day long. Uh, Where he is now and where he'll be in three or four months, I think is a really interesting conversation to watch because this time a year from now, we're probably talking about him as one of the breakout candidates in the SEC.
4: Yeah, and the other thing that last year, did we talk about Tennessee's – linebackers having a higher ceiling as the season went on i don't think we did i mean did did, was there any reason to believe that tennessee would be better in game 12 than would they would be in game one whereas as you presented arian carter is going to get better what reason do we have to believe this time last year that the balls were going to make some super jump at linebacker I, i think they kind of were what what they were right josh
3: Yeah, uh, other than Beasley, like the development Beasley made from the start of the season, so he started out early on when Jawan Mitchell was available for, I think, the first two games of the season, and he played really well, and I think we came out of that saying, okay, they've got something here, and then by the end of the season, he's playing at such a high level, but also with that group, again, Mitchell was unavailable at the start of the season. Then the South Carolina game, which is always going to be a sore subject for Tennessee fans – well, that was the game Jeremy Banks was unavailable when the Vols went to Columbia. And that was one of the big concerns Josh Heupel had and Brian Jean-Marie had of, okay, we we just have to continue to work overtime to make sure these guys are available and on the field. And that's not anything they have to deal with now. So Brian Jean-Marie just has to be so thrilled with where things are and the potential they have. And there will be mistakes made, I'm sure, if they're counting on a young player out there on the field. So I'm not saying that... This this is Al Wilson, Raynock Thompson, Eric Westmoreland here. But uh, in terms of upside and accountability and leadership, uh, among the starters last season, Banks was probably the one they had to manage the most. Keenan Peeley is the one they have to manage the least. That's an upgrade.
0: Josh, there are so many questions about the secondary, and there seems to be more upside at linebacker this year. Do you think it's possible that rather than running a base 4-3 with a nickel, that Tennessee runs more base 4-3, and I mean actually just keeps three linebackers on the field? At, at still, my,
4: still my question, Calhoun.
3: Well, um, I I think we'll <laughs> see five DBs a lot just because of what they'll likely face in teams throwing the football a lot. So maybe uh, in some situations, like the Alabama game is interesting with a lot of the talk of how they're going to line up and run at you right there the quarterback is the question but what they're not questioning is what they want to be and that's more physical up front and rely on those running backs so part of it will depend on the matchup and which team they're playing and what strengths those teams might have let's see what Florida believes it has when Tennessee goes on the road for the first time in the SEC but a lot of teams i think will still be throwing the ball so much and five 5 DBs i think is just the base for a lot of teams but if they believe they're in a matchup where they need three guys on the field a linebacker, there's a lot more trust that they can rely on those guys now than I think the last two years. Let's switch it to wide receiver. And this is why I love this time of year, because
4: there are so many different things you could do with this wide receiver group. And Josh, one of which is play more. If you don't think you have two tight ends that can rotate now for the record, Jacob Warren and Prince Defant rotated every series. But as it turned out, Warren got about 75% of the snaps. So it's not a question of whether or not he can play that number of snaps. Just how fresh do you want somebody to be at an up-tempo offense? And it's easier to rotate those guys. They didn't do that at wide receiver. But what if your rotation is this before we break down some receivers? It's Warren and then you go four wide. Warren, then you go four wide. Warren, then you go four wide. Thoughts? Because I'm not, I'm not sold to McAllen Castle's grabbing that second tight end spot yet.
3: They have four wide receivers that they really want on the field. Yes. So if there is a way, and I imagine with Josh Heupel's ability to think and plan and work around what his personnel is, they're going to find a way to get those guys on the field together and they they all have a different skill set which can create incredible challenges for the opposing defense. So percentage uh breakdown, let's see. Uh and let's see what the word is coming out of scrimmage action for McCallan Castles where he gets his first real test probably for what he's able to do after the first week of camp. But to me it makes a lot of sense if you look at the strength of this team and you see Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton and then Dante Thornton and Squirrel White and what they're able to do, the more you can use those four guys, probably the more productive Tennessee can be and the more dangerous they are for opposing teams. Now, uh, what that will create in the run game, how that affects what they want to do, Josh Heupel has a better idea than I will uh, because the tight end is still going to be really important there. But uh, the, the skill set of Dante Thornton wowed on day one. The hype from Joey Halsley was very noticeable. That's not a guy that's going to be standing on the sideline a whole bunch. We've already seen Squirrel White play in a big spot against Clemson and perform really well, and his skill set can create mismatch problems. I still don't know why more teams weren't in on him earlier like Tennessee was, and I recognize the answer is probably just his size, but if you evaluate him, you can see what he's able to do despite his lack of height. So um, using those guys more will create more problems for opposing defenses in my opinion. He likes my four wide idea, Caleb. How about that?
4: I didn't know if he'd like it. I just kind of threw out, threw that out there, Caleb. Do you like my idea or not?
0: No, I actually love it. And also when they're when they have throwing they heat have Warren, love it. Well, also when they have Warren and the three wide, because you know every other drive they're gonna have Warren and the three wide, they can rotate in because Dante Thornton. Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. Dante Thornton can play any of the positions at wide receiver. He can play wide out or he can play in the slots. you can just rotate like. Thornton comes is replacing one of the other players who's on the bench at one point, and then at one point all three of them are on, and Thornton's on the bench. But you could have like a four receiver rotation mm-hmm. for the three wide.
3: Yeah, they can use Thornton in different ways, so it doesn't necessarily have to be Squirrel or Dante necessarily. I think Ramel has just continued to gain so much trust. You want him on the field as much as possible, Brew McCoy for sure. That, but that's that's part of the problem here, like saying okay. Which guy do you want to take off the field? Well, no player's putting his hand up. And I don't think a coach is circling names. and saying, you know what, we don't need that guy. So it's a, it's a very good problem to try to figure out. And they're still trying to figure out where they are at tight end behind Jacob Bourne in terms of trust, how much they can count on McAllen Castles. Uh, Ethan Davis looks impressive. He's also a freshman at that position. And that's uh, tough to say right away what he's going to be able to do. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 it's a legit big four I think, at wide receiver. And this time a year ago, there wasn't much Ramel Keaton talk. And it turned out he was really ready to go a year ago. He just needed his opportunity in an unfortunate way with Cedric Tillman's injury. But this year going in, they're planning on four guys that they want on the field, which I think changes the off-season conversation. They also have two games to maybe work some things out. Against Virginia and against Austin P. they should have an opportunity to use different looks to try things out. And that's what scrimmage time in August is for as well.
4: For the record, we at Off the Hook Sports want uh, Jacob Warren to catch four touchdowns a game. That's our goal. So we, we're not, we don't necessarily want four wide, but we are having the discussion. So we broke down Ramel Keaton, leadership ability, probably not the most talented guy. Dante Thornton is one of the most talented guys. And we talked about what Squirrel White did last year. Before I get to Brew McCoy, how might Squirrel White's role grow because that young man is brimming with confidence in his preseason interviews I, I don't want to read yeah. too much into it but he feels pretty good about the way the season's going to play out
3: yeah well he can make plays in a number of ways uh quick pass in the screen game to try to break something or deep passes down the field which we've seen him succeed on uh he's what did he say his favorite route that he would like to run uh post or post corner uh, because of his quickness of how he can break against the DB. John Adams asked him that question, and he didn't hesitate with his answer. He knows that his shiftiness, his quickness, is something that every def- every uh, defensive back or defender that would go up against him is going to have a problem with. So I just I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Squirrel, and that was with him as a freshman still learning and playing with different quarterbacks, I guess, at different times. He's shown a connection with Joe Milton. That's been talked about with Joe and Ramel Keaton. It's real. Uh, they've worked together for the last couple of seasons on campus. But we saw Joe and Squirrel connect early and often last season. So it just that, that's why we're talking about it's difficult to figure out a guy to take off the field. They don't want to take off Ramel Keaton or uh, Brew McCoy. Uh, J- Jacob Warren doesn't want to come off the field and shouldn't either, but he's going to get a breather at some point. So when that's happening, those four wide receivers make a whole lot of sense.
4: I know uh, Caleb was going to jump in there about Brew, but Squirrel said that uh, he and Joe, the combination reminds him of Shaq and Kobe. And then he said, whoa, no, let me correct myself. Mike and Pippen. First of all, it's cool that he's on a first name basis with Michael Jordan. But (laughs) if you had a pick between the two duos of NBA superstars, who does Squirrel and Joe Milton most remind you of? That's today's tough question brought to you by Ben Sports.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, there was, a, there, there was a player that said, you know, uh, it was Brandon Miller, I guess. He said, uh, actually, Paul George is my goat. And there are a few players that have said, yeah, Paul George is the guy that I've actually loved. I, I wish he had gone with like, yeah, I'm kind of like CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard. That's me and Joe. Just throwing a completely <laughs> random duo at us. Or if he'd oh, gone with Lord. an old school NBA jam duo.
4: Or or you could go boy George and George Michael.
3: <laughs> it's stretching a little further, but you could for sure. <laughs> I don't know where we got that.
4: G- Gale, like, where did oh I my go? gosh. Go ahead, Caleb.
0: Uh gosh, so Ruba <laughs> I wanna I wanna throw a name that I'm getting reminded of with him a lot. And it's no one's saying it, it's just in my mind. The talk about him and his potential very much reminds me of the talk about Kelly Washington going into two thousand two. Oh
3: man, because he wears 15. Okay. That,
0: I was gonna say that too, Caleb. I mean, wears 15, honestly. Yeah, he wears number 15. They seem to have a similar physical build advantage. And again, had Washington not gotten hurt, it, we don't know what would have happened. But do you see similarities in the level of hype around that? Around the two, a- and
4: questionable attitude issues for different reasons, in game antics with Brew off practice or fans just didn't like him with Kelly Washington. Yeah, I I thought of that comparison early this morning, actually.
3: Yeah, I do think Brew's personality comes off as more reserved in the public. Kelly was happy to call himself the future. Remember that game day feature? That was something. Um, I don't don't think that Brew told Jalen Hyatt to go to the NFL. Uh, Not that I know of. (laughs) Uh compared to another story, but yeah, I mean, a physical ability. Brew is an older guy. Kelly was was an even older player, right? Uh, having gone mm-hmm. the professional baseball route before coming back to college. Uh, Brew's maybe 23 now, but there are a lot of old guys in college football again. Keenan Peely's 25. but uh yeah, I mean I can I can see some of that exactly how their games match up. I'm not totally sure, but from a physical standpoint, Kelly was a physical wide receiver brew uh has his strength still ability to make plays down the field and he's going to want the football uh no doubt as he should i don't know that he's as boisterous as uh, kelly was in that regard but i see the comparisons from a physical standpoint I, not, if you're number 15 i think just has to go to the the big physical guy juan jennings wore number 15 uh oh, carl pickens yeah. right so uh, i think that uh the next 215 plus pound wide receiver that they go after in that range should be put in number 15. What would your number be Josh? Six. For six championships. Cause you're a bulls fan. Yeah. Six, uh, favorite number, six championships for the bulls. Uh, birthday is June 6th. So six, six, it's a good looking number. Josh is the devil. Everybody's devil. <laughs> My 21st birthday was six, six Oh six, but, um, Yeah, scary. But, you know, number one, number four, eight, those, I think, get a lot of the love. Number six, very underrated. So it's not as as obvious of a move. Two players moved to number six this offseason, Aaron Beasley and Dylan Sampson. Which I hate the double
4: numbers. Mine's very simple, and Caleb would agree, best quarterback of all time. It would be number eight for Troy Aikman. Tony Romo was
0: not
4: Troy Aikman. Tony Romo was better than Troy Aikman. Oh,
0: I could have played quarterback in that system that Dallas had.
4: It was a pretty good group. All right, Josh, noon to three on the Sports Animal. Keep it up. Check out his column on offthehooksports.com. We love you.
3: How many more titles would the Cowboys have won in the 90s with Kirk Cousins instead of Troy?
4: Oh, four. They're winning seven straight. <laughs> I'm just
3: kidding. I, I, was, I was a big That's Troy true. fan uh, in the 90s. Big Big fan of Troy. Yeah, I mean,
4: if he wanted to throw for 60,000 yards, he could have, but that wasn't what was best for the team. That yeah.
3: simple? Uh Toss sweep to to Emmitt, get the ball to the playmaker, Jay Novacek. Not, 90s Cowboys, they were a lot of fun off the field and watching them on it. There is a great clip,
4: I'll send it to you, where he is just dog-cussing the coaching staff because he said nobody will coach us, <laughs> and this is the Barry Switzer year. I don't know if you've seen it, but you don't hear him say F-bombs and GDs a lot <laughs> because he's on TV. It is classic, and the lack of coaching they had under Barry Switzer. They win at least three more Super Bowls. Well, it,
3: yeah, the, and the, the tie it into this segment, so we're talking about linebackers, and I, I just think it really matters. I don't know how good the defense will be, but it really matters to have somebody like Keenan Peely and now Aaron Beasley, who's more established, guys that are just going to be about their business on the field. Eggman had no time for the BS. He was about his business and, and trying to win, and that's what it's supposed to be about. So I think, I think Tennessee has more of that. What does that mean for the results? Let's see. But I, I think th- that was what Roddy Gardner talked about with the defensive line group this week, and I think that is the case in the group behind them too. That was a fantastic job done on the uh, callback there, Josh. I like that.
4: <clears throat> Coming up, we'll have Texas a They shut down their NIL collective. What does that mean for other SEC teams and the Vols in particular? Josh, have a fantastic day, sir. We always appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, guys. He's Josh Ward of oh the gosh. Sports Animal Big time potential changes coming to NIL. I don't want to be chicken little here, but something's going on that I know some people on our message board will love. Other people, you're a Tennessee fan, probably should hate. Stay tuned. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll be back in two minutes and tell you why A&M says, I don't know about this collective thing. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater.
2: Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare Far better than moonshine, a drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity, a hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend, a refreshment that can only be found in one place, with a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff, Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be
1: found.
2: Objective coverage.
1: Hey, that's
2: new. If we get caught, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker.
4: Welcome back. Do we all have that family member... Who tends to be a little bit too boisterous about their money, throw money around? Yes, and the SEC does too, and that is Texas A&M. So, Texas predictable one to be boisterous, by the way. Exactly right, Um, and probably is like the little brother of a uh, of an older sibling and picked on a lot, which would be the University of Texas. So. Here is the issue of why it pertains to the SEC and Tennessee and even to a larger extent, why it pertains to all of college football. So Texas A&M has shut down their NIL collective. Um, That's after a threat from the IRS. So it's brought to you by Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Somebody that handles your money needs to be Andy Mason in real estate. It's the best service and the biz. Just that simple Andy Mason real estate.com. So Texas AM shuts down their NIL collective after a threat from the IRS. Give me some more, and then I got questions, Caleb Calhoun.
0: Okay, so Texas AM tried to finesse NIL in only a way Texas could do. I mean, this is a state with oil money and billionaires. And if anybody cheats on their taxes, it's billionaires who run oil companies. So no. I mean, no.
4: No. Um,
0: and they take giant subsidies from the federal government, they're the ultimate takers. But like it's it's
4: <laughs> take little bits um, of cash from minority convenience store owners in some cases as well. Uh, that's in the I pilot really situation. Do. Yeah, you like that reference? And, and
0: Jimmy Haslam still managed to go into debt because he's such a terrible businessman, anyways. Um they've just killed an advertisement with Jimmy Haslam or pilot with us, but
4: <laughs> we're gonna I, some, we're gonna do some Casey's or Buckies. <laughs> So, God, does anybody hate Bucky's or am I the only one? I feel like I'm going to catch circa, circa 2020 COVID in that place. Go ahead, King. <laughs> um, you have Bucky's up there? Uh, we do
0: not. We do oh,
4: not. it's like they have like 200 gas pumps and brisket that they cook every hour. If you love or hate Bucky's. Tell me on the message board because I think it's the most overrated thing ever. They built it to give you an idea of scale, Caleb. They built a whole nother exit uh, at the Sevierville exit so that they could have a Bucky's. Okay. Oh my it's- gosh.
0: Okay, so it's the it's that it's the version of it's it's sheets up where I am. Um, okay. Lots sheets. of sheets. I don't
4: know. You watch your
0: lines. A lot of road trips, so I feel like you should you should appear. Uh, so, a- anyways, back to a And um, and them being who they are, they decided to try to set up their NIL collective well, as a non-profit.
4: More time. It sounds funny. The Buckies a big time college football, Texas A&M. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> they decided they were going to have their NIL fund be a nonprofit and they were promising their donors tax benefits in exchange for donations through NIL. And,
4: oh. So let me say this, as a business owner, and I mean, Caleb, is a guy who you may do your own taxes, this isn't difficult to figure out. This is not a donation. I can guarantee you the businesses we work with that are associated with Jacob Warren and Cooper Mays do not pay and expect to be able to, well, yes, you you expense that on your taxes because it's a marketing expense but it's sure not a donation in terms of a church or some sort of charity. So this doesn't surprise me. They've got it all sideways because that's a fundamental piece of knowledge you should have. Continue, sir.
0: Oh, exactly. I guess they were so used to, and you may know this more than me, But when the donors, you know, when boosters put up a lot of money to build a new athletic facility or help buy out a coach's contract, that counts as a donation that they can write off on their taxes, right? Because they're donating to a public college technically.
4: Right, which which is where I want to get going. You're you're, you're taking me down the primrose path because I okay. I mentioned where this is going a couple of days ago, and I'm not sure if you were uh, listening at that very moment. But I'm going to tell you where this thing's going. Go ahead.
0: I would. So, is this blindsiding donors elsewhere to realize when you donate towards nil, you can't really write that off? That's an advertisement. That's an advertisement. Like a in business other- expense. It's a business expense. Yes, exactly. I don't think Nike can write off the contract it gives LeBron for working with Nike as a donation.
4: <laughs> right. So the difference is, and I don't want to get into the rigmarole uh, uh, of this, but the difference is when you claim a donation, you claim that off the profits that your company made. So it lowers your overall profit. If you claim a business expense, yes, you you get that taken off, but you still pay a higher tax rate than you would if you were to give it to a church or a charity or something like that. The NIL is clearly not a charity. It's a way to make your football team better. These guys don't care if you can go to Taco Bell or not. They want their football team to be better. So if that means they're more comfortable, that's good. Okay, four downs. I'm gonna dive into this and wait to see where it ends up and your thoughts on Bucky's on the message board. Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Travis loves Bucky's. Surprises me, Travis. Four downs now. Off the hook sports. Four downs.
2: Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four, four? downs. A presentation of Off the Hook
4: So, four downs brought to you by Annie Mason of Annie Mason Real estate.com. Best service and prices in the biz. Four questions about NIL. And again, go to Andy Mason dot com. So, what down is it, Cooper Mays? Cooper, first down. All right, first down. The first question: What does this say about A and M? Let's really hone down our focus. What does it say about the Texas A and M Aggies?
0: It says that they were just trying to find a workaround and game the system and see if they could pull this off. That it's just that that's all this says.
4: I was going to go with too aggressive with a bunch of money burning the hole in their pocket, but I think that's pretty much what you said as well, just in a, a, a more descriptive way. So what down is it now, Coop? Cooper Mays here, second down. Okay, is this a one-off thing, or is this a big deal? Is this A&M, didn't dock the I's and cross the T's correctly, or should there be other schools that are concerned about the IRS giving a and a threat?
0: So I... I don't know if it's a big deal, but I don't want to go one-off. And I know I'm splitting the baby. I'm sorry. But I think Texas A&M is going to be the most aggressive because like I said, oil executive billionaires are more affiliated with Texas A&M than probably any other school in the country. And oil executive billionaires have a history of trying to cheat on taxes and get handouts from the federal government. So I think that was the, this was just a natural progression. But I, we just talked about – tennessee had a booster who was trying to cheat and do some shady stuff back in the day and i'm sure has cheated on his taxes and so it's 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 this is what happens with very very powerful people and nil is funded by very very powerful people and very very powerful people have very very fancy accountants and work overtime to cheat on their taxes
4: I think it's a big deal. I think even if we don't hear about it, that there are accountants and people within collectives that are are scrambling a little bit and trying to make sure that theirs doesn't violate um, any possible IRS laws. Because, listen, the NCAA has no teeth. The IRS has a lot of teeth. (laughs) They've got the third and fourth row of teeth. Like a shark, you don't want uh, to deal with them. All right, third down, Cooper. like
0: not Tennessee. the Jim McElwain shark.
4: <laughs> no, not that shark. It's that shark's completely clothed. Tennessee Center Cooper Mays here, third down. <laughs> that made no sense. So's McElwain somewhere. Hopefully, he has his clothes on, but it's early. Should UT be worried? Should the balls be worried? Third down. I don't know how
0: Spire Sports is run by this, but I will say this. Danny White had his fingerprints all over Spire Sports being started more than the donors did, whereas the donors were behind the collective at A&M. So I think Tennessee's in better shape because I think Danny White is much more likely to dot his I's and cross his T's. And so I, I don't base put it this way. the Danny White runs Tennessee Athletics. The donors don't. The donors run Texas A&M Athletics.
4: Right. Okay, so let's put it this way. Uh, I would say everybody should be a little bit worried now that the IRS is getting involved, but less worried than the average team because of what you said about Danny White. But he makes a yeah. he makes a phone call this morning, right, and says, "Hey, guys, I just want to make sure that right, uh, yeah."
0: And Dave, you've covered athletic departments more than I have, where the donors ran the show and the athletic director was a figurehead, right? Where the donors really ran the athletic department more than the athletic director.
4: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's. Less common now, Caleb, because the the athletic directors are businessmen, and I think there's a certain level of respect you have for a businessman over a football coach in most instances. Now, you know, if, if Nick Saban and the guy who runs the local Bucky's walks in the door at the same time, you're going to like Saban more. But if the guy who started Bucky's and Les Miles walked in the room at the same time, you're gonna go, man, that Bucky's guy's got it going on. I don't know about that Les Miles guy if he's ever gonna win anything at football. All right, fourth, fourth down, Caleb Calhoun. All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. Thanks, Coop. What does this mean for the future of the NIL? May I jump on the soapbox for one second? Sure. And I said it a couple of days ago. What this means is it's all gonna go through the university. Cause with the university, you can claim it as a donation with it going through the university. You can have absolute control of the disbursement of funds. And I'm not saying they don't aspire; They may well to the penny, but I can tell you it's getting muddied now by some other collectives that are trying to get started in Knoxville, Tennessee. and I'm sure that's the case of others. And ultimately I think that you don't want to be tied to any one collective, be it Spire or any other collective. That's not an extension of your university. It shouldn't be viewed like that. So what is the future of NIL? I believe players will just get paid through the university, which will come from donations. So basically, we've taken these steps forward and will remedy the fact that the players didn't get enough of the pie, in my opinion but we're going to go back a little bit and that the money is going to come through the schools eventually. And I say that happens within five years from what I've been told, the biggest hurdle is going to be, if it comes through the university, instead of somebody that's out there trying to grow their business, you have to look the female gymnast in the eye and tell her why she's not making as much as the backup left guard. And that's just going to be something they're going to have to deal with. But other than well, that, you also
0: have to le- you also have to legally justify it because Title IX that could be a blatant Title IX violation too, right? And- so I
4: think that's the hurdle. But given all the hurdles that have been crossed, college football playoff transfer portal NIL, I think it'll get crossed. I wouldn't have necessarily said that ten years ago, uh, but I think that's the future of the NIL. It's going to have to come through the university to make sure everything's handled correctly. At some point, I mean, there are millions of dollars being thrown around now. You can't tell me. And I said this on a Nashville radio show a week ago, and it got a whole lot of play, which I didn't necessarily mean it to. But I do know of one NIL um, collective group within the SEC. It's a big-time program. You would know that their operating expenses are about 90%. So 90% of the money goes in their pockets. About 10% actually Mm -hmm. ends up with the players that they're supposed to be paying for. So at some point, you're going to want to eliminate And you're going to want to eliminate the opportunity again, not Spire. I'm not saying Spire, but you want to eliminate the opportunity of some other group doing something stupid that could get you in trouble.
0: This I'm going to send a fair warning out to everybody that plays a non revenue producing sport. Your sport is on the chopping block at your college, because what's going to happen is that once that money's funneled to the players that's less money for the football program to produce all the money it does for all the other sports that it funds at the university. So what they're going to do is they're going to keep football and basketball and baseball. Those are revenue producing. They'll keep, they have to keep three women's sports at that point. So they'll keep women's basketball, softball, and you're right. They might pick gymnastics or something like that, but they're going to cut every other sport because even the men's sports, the other versions aren't revenue producing. I'm sorry, Tennessee men's tennis. You probably don't make any money for the university. You're probably gone. And, that is the, that's the giant red flag I want to send out to everybody now, which is that they, this way they could cut men's and women's tennis. They could cut think, men's and I, women's golf.
4: I think you're right. But if I'm Danny Watt, I'm looking at this as the money is going to be so much more significant from a college football playoff and other avenues um, that I will be able to offset that. I think you're right, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. And at some point, athletic departments don't have to make tens of millions of dollars, which they disperse to associate athletic directors and find every way to spend every dollar because they're technically a non-revenue entity. At some point, it's okay to, just, to make a few million dollars. I, I think it's going to, I think what you'll see is that a lot of the programs now that think they have to build a new building Each and every year don't have to build a new building each and every year. What the guys have at Tennessee, it's it's nicer than what some NFL teams have. Okay. The the, what they have, the indoor nicer than what every
0: NFL teams have. You know, this former players that play in the NFL, they go and use their college facilities to work out in the all season
4: Yeah. Um, and even down to a barber shop, there's food always out. And I'm not talking about okay food, I'm talking about filet salmon ribs i mean it's always out so i mean at at some point i think we're going to look at this and say yes the players deserve a little bit more but not a tremendous amount more when we start talking about the 1.8 million that's where i think the market will level itself out uh or you know whatever it took to get Nico, I think we'll see it start to level it out right now. And I've mentioned his name before, but Dante Thornton was able to go to three different schools and say, what will you pay me? It's as simple as that. It's like your realtor calls and I've got three people sitting at a desk and you just say, my figure is whatever you guys determine it is. It's just market economy as simple as that. And Tennessee determined the number, the correct number. So Caleb eventually, eventually, I think that comes all from, from the university, which I don't think. Yeah. And,
0: and for everybody whining about that, you either believe in markets or you don't, you either support Dante Thornton or you
4: don't believe in markets.
0: It's okay, one of the, and, it's one or the other.
4: And along those lines, when's the last time you've shown up for a crew event or uh, a men's golf tournament for the balls, because you're just there to support that's market economy. If you're showing up to that and you're paying tickets, then it's a revenue sport. Then not ain't going anywhere because they're making money on it.
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, 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 I totally agree. If you wish, for, I, I say this all the time. If you think WNBA players should make more, but you're not spending money on WNBA tickets, don't talk to
4: me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I totally agree with you. And here, here's, here's the thing that, the reason I want to address it specifically because we cover Tennessee primarily is Tennessee's killing it right now in NIL. So you don't want anything to shake up the the olive branch or shake up the tree. You want it to keep cruising like it's going because you're winning. Um, So Tennessee will still be winning, but I don't know that they'll be dominating in NIL. Because right now, I think, Caleb, I'd say they're one of the top 10. Oh, they're number Tennessee. one. They're number, number
0: one, one in NIL? Ten- okay. Yeah, Tennessee, and I know this. I know this much, covering them in 2020, 2021, they were preparing for this to happen before it happened. They were kind of ready for NIL to happen when it happened. And I think Tennessee is, I said five years ago, I said this five years ago when Tennessee was down in the dumps and I was like, people were like, how is Tennessee going to be able to revitalize itself? I said, it wouldn't be recruiting because Tennessee doesn't have a strong recruiting base. Tennessee, I said, Tennessee, we didn't have the phrase NIL at the time. We didn't know what that meant. So Tennessee, I said, they just need to get out ahead of the curve and openly pay players and openly defy the NCAA in the process. And even if that happens and they get in trouble, other schools will be forced to start doing that because all the players would be going to Tennessee. And so I said that they should do that. They didn't have to do it because NIL happened, but they were ready for this for years.
4: Well, I think your guy Jeremy Pruitt did it. I think you and Jeremy Pruitt were on the very same page.
0: Except Pruitt did it, tried to do it subtly.
4: Right. On page 189 of How to Rebuild a College Football Program, he actually cited you. He said, start paying players, and he cited Caleb Calhoun. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, he did say Caleb did not suggest fast food bags because he didn't want to slander you in any way. But that I said
0: openly do it.
4: Yeah, he said openly use fast food bags and make them Chick-fil-A. Well,
0: the problem was – the problem was Philip Fulmer strongly didn't believe in this.
4: He was very old school of the, the degree
0: is your pay. Like, he really felt that way. And I'm like, that that kind of helped Tennessee back. But
4: I was told, and I don't know this, that it was Jeremy Pruitt's wife who was giving money to players that she suggested Chick-fil-A because it's just a little classier than McDonald's.
0: Yeah, but what if they're trying I'll to pay say, a player on I'm not,
4: re- I'm not reporting. <laughs> <that>. I, <laughs> okay, I know, listen. I know. I <laughs> know.
0: But what? If, but what but, but wait! What I I figured you try to pay your players on Sunday because that's when things are the least active and people are doing the least amount of
4: investigating.
0: And how do you pay somebody in a Chick Fil A bag on Sunday?
4: I I guess you got to get the stuff on Saturday. Trust me, our family's considered it before. We love our our Chick Fil A. <laughs> We've considered stuff on a Saturday for a. All Sunday. that
0: unhealthy. What is it that they pump into the chicken? Oh, I forget what it's called. Like Chick Fil A does it worse than anybody.
4: So bad. For you. I Chick Fil A. Okay. I think Chick-fil-A is the best of the fast food place. Okay, what are beaver nuggets? Somebody on the message board tell me. I guess you get them at um, Bucky's because I was making fun of Bucky's a little bit earlier. Robert jokes the cornhole team may get cut. You know what's scary is the cornhole team. You put me in charge of that thing. That's going to be a revenue-generating sport. (laughs) Cornhole and beer pong. I'm not even joking, Caleb. I mean, it's getting some play on, on television. Yes, I could definitely turn that. The into spelling Bee
0: also gets played on, on television.
4: Well, that's because it's terrible company. them, But, or owns the You right. mean the company that the SEC has latched its entire future to? Pretty much. Um, all right, so tell me what Beaver Nuggets are. Can you Google that? Because nobody's telling me on the message board. I thought somebody <sighs>
0: would that, that sound. never mind. I'm deciding what to say with that sound. Like. It sounds
4: awful. <laughs> it sounds terrible on two different planes, all their own. But, it's like uh, a
0: it's like a bag of nuggets that like it looks like 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 you eat them like chips almost or Cheetos but they're like little nuggets.
4: Okay, I'm in for trying the Beaver Nuggets. That's He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We're with you weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, coming up later today, we'll have full coverage of Tennessee's first scrimmage. Uh, as we will have one Josh Heupel visit with the media and pretty much say nothing. But we'll also get uh, Cooper Maze's thoughts and Jacob Warren's thoughts on what Tennessee's gotten done in their first full week of practice. He is Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.
1: 18 plus.